you are invited to register and participate in Orthodox Christian Conversations on Racism, a six-week study of St. Paul's Letter to the Galatians, Saturday mornings, July 18th through August 29, 8 to 9 a.m. Pacific, 11 to noon Eastern. Join us as our diverse team of six teachers of the Bible present a chapter-by-chapter reading of Galatians, looking to St. Paul for instruction in these worrisome times fraught with division, social unrest, and deep-seated racism. Our presenters come from different walks of life. They serve as members of the clergy, a police officer, a nurse practitioner, ex-military, a homeschooling mother, and a teacher. Following Father Mark Bulos's book, Torah to the Gentiles, which we will be using as a secondary source, the series will explore St. Paul's letter as a cause for hope in time of peril and a path forward for our country. Each Saturday, a 30-minute presentation will be followed by 30 minutes of discussion with registered participants. Please join us as we turn to Scripture to heal ideological divisions and overcome racism pervasive in our lives, our families, our churches, and our neighborhoods. Register today at orthodoxservantleaders.com. You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they beheld... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 42. Today's reading is from St. James Universal Letter, chapter 5, verses 10 through 16. Brethren, take as an example of suffering and patience the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we call those happy who were steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. Is anyone among you suffering? let him pray. Is any cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick man, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man has great power in its effects. Our reading today from James is referred to as a universal letter, uh, unlike Paul's epistles that were in many cases written to a specific church. Uh, Would you begin, Father, by highlighting the differences between uh, these two types of epistles? Yeah, very good question to get us started. The meaning of the word epistle is letter. So really, you can see you just have two words that essentially mean the same thing. In fact, you can see that even James addresses his letter to an audience, namely to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. He mentions that in chapter 1, verse 1. Now, granted, Paul's letters were usually to a specific church community, and James here is more broad, again, basically addressing uh, his letter to all the Jews, those who were scattered abroad at least. Uh, However, a couple of additional things that I would point out as well. Great. Yes, please continue. We discussed several episodes ago about the epistle to the Romans, and remember I mentioned how that epistle was essentially an invitation not just specifically to the people in Rome, but to everyone who was part of the Roman Empire, and by extension, 
to the entire civilized world, which at least from the perspective of Paul was the center of civilization. Mm -hmm. That's right. I remember that. So you have a similar dynamic here with James's letter. It's basically an open invitation. As a leader among the Jews in Jerusalem, James is writing this message to those who were in the diaspora, to those scattered abroad, as he said. So James is essentially writing like Romans as very much an open invitation. And then the second thing uh, to point out is that Paul's letters were clearly meant to be read not just by the recipients, but in essence, universally. That's interesting what you say about Paul's epistles uh, being meant to be read universally. Uh, what, what leads you to that conclusion, Father? Well, there's several things. The first would be in 1 Thessalonians 5.27. Uh, St. Paul writes, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the brethren. And then another passage in Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. Now when this epistle is read among you, see that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea. So we can see that Paul's letters were intended to be read more broadly than to just their immediate recipient. And obviously, this is way before the age of the Internet, where it was easy to spread the epistle far and wide. So Paul is doing as much as he can to spread the message, given the tools and technology of his time, which is basically telling the recipients of at least some of his letters, and I think we can assume, and I'll explain more uh, briefly why, that he, he's probably doing this with all of his letters to pass them along to the other brethren and to the other churches. So what I wanted to say there to, to sort of finalize this is pointing out that by canonizing Paul's letters and making them scripture, the church recognized the value of reading his epistles universally so that today they've been translated literally into hundreds of different languages. And then to point out that the canonization of Paul's letters, though it only became more official, so to speak, later on, already started during the time of the apostles. And we can see this because Peter refers to Paul's epistle as scripture in his own epistle in Second uh, uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 16. That's a very helpful uh, explanation, Father. Thanks. With respect to the specific passage that I read from St. James' epistle, uh, at the beginning of our episode today. In verse 12, we read, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, that you may not fall under condemnation. Would you comment on this verse? Sure, it's, it's a very practical verse, and I'd actually like to share with you a conversation I had recently that I think can be related to this. So I, I met a man fairly recently in his mid-70s. He seems to be a wise man. And he asked me a question, and in just the normal course of conversation, you know, without really giving it much thought, I began to respond by saying, well, to be honest with you. And immediately the man interrupted me, and he said, please don't use that saying. It's a terrible saying. And I thought I knew what he meant. And, and he went on and he said, because if you say that, if you say this, well, to be honest with you, uh, then I have to wonder if you're always being honest with me. Uh, because if you're saying that, it, then it seems to be that you're implying at other times you might not be honest with me. So uh, the funny thing is a couple days later, I had another conversation with this same person, and, and he mentioned the same thing again, even though I hadn't used the phrase again, and he was telling me what a terrible saying uh, that it is. And uh, he even was using it himself and said, I better, 
I better be careful. I don't like this phrase. So it's just a common expression that we have. And I think what he was expressing to me is the same thing that James is trying to communicate here. So James is, is basically saying, just be an honest person. Say yes and no. Keep it simple. You don't need to swear by things or anything like that. Just live an honest and an upright life with integrity. And that's the best reflection that we can give of living the gospel. That's a great story and uh, a great lesson here from St. James. My final question of the day is later in verse 16 we read, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. One of the sacraments of our church is that of confession. And Father, my understanding is that this sacrament has changed over time, especially in comparison to what it looked like in the very early church, being that then it was public and then later became private. Would you comment on this and the importance of confession in general? Well, Jason, I'm going to begin by saying it's good to know that people, or at least you, uh, remember some things that I taught in in a catechism class. <laughs> but on a more serious note, you know, you are correct, absolutely correct. The sacrament of confession, actually by far, is the sacrament that has changed and developed the most over the course of the history of the church, and that's been for very practical reasons. So, for example, as you mentioned, Confession used to be, in the very early church, public instead of private, as it is today. And there are really two practical reasons for this. I I seem to remember that you mentioned before that one of those reasons was because Christianity changed from being a a, a rather small, uh, personal, and persecuted religion uh, eventually to the religion of the empire. Right, right. That's the reason number one. And just to give some more context for those not familiar... Once Christianity was not only legalized in the Roman Empire, but then shortly thereafter it became the religion of the empire, the official religion, then some people joined the church for less than the most sincere reasons. And what do you mean by that, Father? When Christianity became the religion of the Roman Empire under the Emperor Constantine, people would join it because it could help their political career or give them more status in the empire. So really almost overnight, Christianity went from being severely persecuted to becoming legalized to becoming then the official religion, again, of the entire Roman Empire. And all of a sudden you go from people who have the utmost sincerity of faith uh, in the church to having people that still fall into that camp. Of course, there were some that were uh, sincere, but then a lot more who are joining simply for political or cultural or social reasons. And then how does that impact confession? Well, if you're a very small, close-knit community, then you inherently have some trust with the other members, especially when you're uh, a small, close-knit community that faces potentially martyrdom if people find out you're a Christian. And to be able to open up then in confession, you really have to trust the other person or people that you're confessing to. And so the most devout Christians who before were public within that community about their sins no longer felt comfortable doing that when you have people there simply trying to booster uh, their career in the government. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think you mentioned that there was another reason also? Yeah, the, the other reason is that early on, confession was primarily for what we might today call, quote, bigger sins. You know, sins like fornication or adultery or stealing, things of that nature. But over time, there was influence from the monastic community, and people started to make 
confession of what we might call, you know, so-called smaller sins. And in some cases, especially again in the monastic communities and, and people who are very serious about their spirituality, and this happens even to this day, I think it's a positive thing overall, you may have a confession or a discussion of your thoughts and temptations. So not even necessarily something that has become sin, but something that could be leading you towards sinful acts. And so that's part of the reason for uh, making it private now as well? Yes. Again, to open up like that uh, to others or to someone else, you have to have trust. And of course, I've noticed over the years how some people uh, start to reveal more to me or start to dig deeper as they gain a trust in me. That's just, that's natural. Uh, A trust that I don't share any people's confession uh, with someone else. A trust that I don't judge them or come down on them for certain sins or certain thoughts. And sometimes in confession or pastoral counseling, I even may share how I've struggled with a similar sin or how I'm uh, trying to overcome it. It's it's just natural to have to take time to build up that trust. There has to be that trust there between the people involved for them to open up. And so I'd end by saying that I, I really believe we need to get back closer to how things were done in the early church. And, and don't get me wrong on that. The, the church is big enough now, even in the U.S., that it would be unhealthy for people to make public confessions in front of the entire church body. That's That's not what I'm getting at. What I'm saying is that we need people in the church to communicate with one another, to share with one another, to develop deep relationships where they trust people enough to share with them their struggles, their sins, their deepest thoughts and concerns. And that's a healthy church environment. It doesn't mean, of course, that people would do that in place of making a sacramental confession with a priest or even having pastoral counseling with a priest, but it would be something they do in addition to that with a close network of people that they've grown to trust within the church body. Very helpful. Thank you, Father. As we began with today's reading from St. James, Father Aaron explained that, like Paul's epistle to the Romans, which was intended for the entire civilized world, so too was the letter from James. We also explored the fact that this universality also applies to the epistles of Paul addressed to specific churches. We then discussed what is meant in verse 12 when James says, Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Father Aaron explained that James is communicating that if we live our lives as honest people and with integrity, there is no need to swear. A simple yes or no will suffice. We then turn to the sacrament of confession and the reasons behind the changes and development of this sacrament over the history of the church. In the early church, confession was public. This was at a time when the church was relatively small. But when Christianity later became the official religion of the empire, there were some who joined the church for merely political, cultural, or social reasons. This began to change the small, close-knit communities where trust was once inherent. As a result, confession became a private occasion. An additional change to confession over time was a shift from confessing only more major sins to an inclusion of all sin. Father also emphasized the importance of developing relationships with one another in the church, not to replace the sacrament of confession, but to nurture these relationships so that we might trust one another enough to share our struggles and sins. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah.
Glory to Thee, 